Welcome to Home Dance Film Festival, the podcast that brings a little bit of the Sundance Film Festival to you. We discuss two movies that played at Sundance along with one non-Sundance film, plus a few other fun things thrown in along the way. Today we're discussing Dinner in America, Donnie Darko, and Elvis. I'm Jessica. And I'm Dylan. Wow, we're back. And not better than ever, I'm betting. Probably just same as ever. <laughs> just as mid as you remember us. <laughs> Hooray. This uh, summer was one of the worst. It was hottest Satan's butthole, and <laughs> we could not record in our area. I was not feeling it. I and every woman in America lost some of our rights, and I couldn't breathe. <laughs> you were not feeling particularly inspired to discuss Sundance movies or movies in general. No. It was, dare I say, no, I won't. I won't because I don't want the universe to top itself. But it was a really bad summer. Was it a cruel summer? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but we're back and we're going to talk about some movies and that's pretty cool. (laughs) Neato. (laughs) So in that spirit, you know me, I've been watching movies. (laughs) And uh, I just wanted to share uh, a few little... uh, little gems that I recently stumbled upon. Uh, I wanted to talk about really two quick documentaries, one of which you've watched with me for the film lovers out there, because this is more about film, like films about film. Who doesn't love that? The first one is from the 90s, um, and it's not perfect, but I found it very interesting. Um, it's called The Silver Screen, Color Me Lavender. It's a essay documentary which takes a look at classic movies and queer coding that's been throughout the years. So like any uh, hidden gay nuances that like some of the creatives may have intentionally or maybe inadvertently slipped in that people have picked up on over the years, especially in Westerns, which is like a very mm-hmm. like homoerotic uh, mm-hmm. genre. So it's Bulldog from Frasier hosting <laughs> this just like a presentation where he's like going through clips and just going through different movies and like, hey, look at this. And it's like, hmm, pre- seems pretty suspect or so, like kind of the stuff. Stakes, like- this is total BS. <laughs> But it is fun to see him in particular because of his character, like machismo, <laughs> testosterone field. But then having like a sensitive conversation about gay elements in classic movies. It's an interesting film. Like I said, it's not perfect because I do sometimes have issues with essay films like this. There was a film we watched at Sundance virtually this year. I won't name it right now, which was an essay film that I think sometimes people seem to be grasping a little bit. Like, I'm not really sure if I completely agree that this is demonstrating this, but I'll let you try to demonstrate your point it at least allowed me to try to open my mind to like certain interpretations like oh maybe this does kind of mean this so just trying to open my mind to examining film in a different way which i thought was fun this next documentary it kind of just plays like a really excellent special feature but i found it to be fun and it's one we watched together and that is fiddler's journey to the big screen which just it's just an hour and a half pretty fun documentary about the making of fiddler on the roof it's narrated by jeff goldblum and it gives you everything you would want to know about the making of Fiddler on the Roof from the different like adapting the material to the screen, the direction of Norman Jewison, casting this very important role. And there's just a lot of really great interviews with famous fans of the text and then like people who worked on the film. Like I said, it, it does play kind of like a, a really great like supplemental feature that you would find maybe on the like Fiddler on the Roof, but it's a standalone documentary and it's kind of like a love letter to the film that I found very interesting. It's been quite a while since I've seen Fiddler on the Roof, but it did make me want to 
kind of revisit it at some point in the near future um, just because I was like oh these some of these songs are pretty fun and just like getting some of the backstories and uh, finally just going into the world of television a little bit I just want to make a general appeal to people because I recently was catching up on the latest season of Young Sheldon season 5 and I know yes it's a spinoff of the Big Bang Theory and then people sometimes got tired of that show near the end but it is genuinely one of like the best family sitcoms on right now I really enjoy it it's very different from Big Bang Theory it's just like really well-rounded ensemble and we're at a point in the story where Sheldon he's getting into like his college days he's still young don't worry about that (laughs) he's still young but I I like how they kind of develop his family members and he's a central point of the ensemble but it's like a great show like Malcolm in the Middle where yes Malcolm is the central person but his family is full of characters so Young Sheldon it's genuinely a really good show and I just not that it really needs my help but I'm just saying like give it a chance if you haven't it makes me feel things which it's hard for shows to do a lot these days so I just wanted to put in that recommendation well I think I'm ready to dust off my shoes my dancing shoes so shall we Sundance I thought you'd never ask What's the group? They're this really cool group. The music is almost educational. I don't like the sound of this militia music. Rock concerts are bad news. They up the reward. They said you assaulted some lady. Tried to burn her house down? Dinner in America premiered at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival. It is written and directed by Adam Raymeyer, and it stars Kyle Gallner, Emily Skeggs, Griffin Gluck, Pat Healy, and Mary Lynn Ricecub. An on-the-land punk rocker and a young woman obsessed with his band unexpectedly fall in love and go on an epic journey together through America's decaying Midwestern suburbs. So fun little tidbit, we first saw this movie at Sundance. <laughs> yes, we did. It was really fun. Yeah, we got to see the cast and director and everyone talking about it mm-hmm. afterwards. So that good old Eccles yeah, screening. Yeah. Eccles Theater. That's probably my favorite theater at the festival. It's really great. Mm-hmm. It was very fun and I really enjoyed it at the festival and I still really enjoy it. It was one of my favorite, if not my favorite, of the festival that year. I really connected to it and it made me laugh. It has like a, a really like 90s, early 2000 feel to me. The style and the tone. It has like a 90s aesthetic with like clothing and punk rock and all that. But just like the dark comedies of the 90s, it has like that tone that I really like. So that's kind of my sweet spot. So it really hit with me. <laughs> I just, I find it really funny, but it's really gritty and the parts that are dirty and the darker parts of life, yeah, they're uncomfortable. And even though it's, it is gritty and stuff, there's like this really sweet romance that runs through it. It's really romantic. 
And so I think that's why I really like it. Just the sweetness of it and just watching these characters interact and get to know one another. I just really like watching them getting to know each other because that's pretty much all the movie is. It's just them hanging out and discovering each other. And I think that's really fun. And there's a banger of a song in this movie. (laughs) I remember at the festival, whenever they were making the song, I was like, oh yeah, here we go. This is good. Yeah. And then they play it. Whenever she starts singing the song, I'm like, oh shit, like this is good. Like, it gives me the tinglies, so I really love that song. Yeah. I remember coming out of the festival, and we were, like, trading our rankings, and this was, like, very high up for you, and I was like, interesting. I did like the movie out of the festival, but I didn't love it like you did. Mm -hmm. I will say that this rewatch, it improved a lot more for me, mostly because I knew kind of what I was getting into. I know if anyone's followed this podcast, I think sometimes it takes me uh, a little bit to get acclimated to certain tones, so... (laughs) I do remember whenever we watched this at Sundance, within the first few minutes, especially the beginning, it's a very abrasive movie Mm -hmm. and it's like punk rock. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But like within the first few minutes, I was like, oh, okay, is this like the tone it was giving me was uh, like an evening with Beverly Leflin, which we had also seen at Sundance back in 2018. So it's like a very kind of surreal, bizarre, like non sequiturs and just just people being weird for Mm -hmm. just it's part of the aesthetic, which I do really like that movie if that's like kind of what I'm getting into and especially like at the beginning whenever he's participating in like a human trial test and <laughs> yeah. he, just like with like all the drooling <laughs> and just like people being just like weirdos yeah like mouth sounds and yeah. close-ups of mouths yeah and like certain like food that they're getting and just seeing like the food being like yeah. cut and Touched. stuff I don't know. I had like a visceral reaction. I was just like, ooh, this is like a a sensory like overload. It just made me a little bit queasy. And then we were rewatching this the other day and I was like eating lunch and I was like, I remember this is going to happen. This is a lot to experience when I'm trying to eat lunch too. Especially like the first 15 minutes are very abrasive because Mm -hmm. that is what the Simon character is doing. He's being intentionally abrasive and like kind of bucking up against the world. And like, especially whenever he goes over to the girl who invites him over to dinner, like (laughs) we get to see uh, our dear Leah Thompson appear for like a brief second, which (laughs) I love that she's in this movie. He's intentionally trying to get a rise out of this family, and that's what he's doing throughout. But it's also part of his character of just trying to push people away and, like, buck up against society until he does find someone who's just kind of immune to that mm-hmm. <laughs> in Patty. Like, she's just... Because she's such, a, like, a sweet, kind of naive, accepting girl, and she just kind of accepts what he's saying at face value, and he's just, like so disarmed by that I love it so it does kind of calm down as they get to know each other because he also calms down and he doesn't feel he has to like be that person as much which I do really love yeah so it just kind of takes that tone within the movie too you're kind of very on edge because he's throwing out sometimes like slurs or something or like just saying very provocative things yeah for shock value yeah but then you, you do calm down and stuff which I enjoy the balance more now knowing that it's not going to be like 110 miles per hour till the end it's a nice balance <laughs> I do like when Simon does like go off on people especially when it's in service of trying to he's not making Patty a stronger but just letting her see things in a different way 
way and trying to push her to see more within herself and not take so much shit. Yeah, I think he does that, but I think they help each other, which is nice because it's not all Mm one-sided. Because she does take the stereotypical role for the woman to, like, have him grow Mm -hmm. because he does grow as a person Mm -hmm. being around her. But then, yeah, he does help her grow into herself more because she was already, like, fully herself. Yeah, that's why I was trying to, like, choose my words carefully because it's not like she's just waiting on him to, like, be something else. She's, like, already not exactly as she seems as well because, like, we see for early on whenever she's after her family dinner, like, she goes up into her room where she is totally herself and she's dancing around. But, like, society's not on her level. Like, but she doesn't understand everything, but it's not like... She's not, like, street smart. Mm -mm. I think that's one of the reasons why I really like this is because even though, yes, it has... The female character has to... She doesn't have to hold his hand, but, like, she necessitates his growth. She's there to start it more so. Mm-hmm. But even though she does that, she doesn't, like you said, she doesn't wait around for him to change because she's already herself and she's already like a fully realized person. She's not like some manic pixie dream girl. Mm-hmm. She's just doing her own thing. Mm-hmm. And then she's going along with him because she enjoys it and she enjoys getting to know him. Yeah. And then it's not like she's gonna flit off and not do anything with her life or just like find another dude to change yeah. or something. They become friends and then like they're growing closer romantically and she wants to help him and he wants to help her. It's not just, it's not one-sided, which I really like. <laughs> yeah, and it's also not like she's only accepting of Simon after he's changed. She's like yeah. on board. Yeah. Like he is saying the most insane stuff to her and she's just accepting of it and she wants to be friends with him even whenever he's kind of being an asshole, prodding her and provoking her and even like making lewd overtures to her. She's just mm-hmm. like kind of laughs at all. It's just not in her vocabulary. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, they already have like this almost spiritual connection at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's just that connection through music and everything too. Mm-hmm. I really love that. Just how music brings people together and how it brings out certain things and allows them to express themselves and be themselves because they both use music to do that. Whenever he does do things there's the scene where he's at her house with her in the kitchen and he's really trying to like get a rise out of her and saying and doing things for shock value and just testing the waters and I guess seeing if she can hang. (laughs) Some of the things that he does, it makes me uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because I'm like, excuse me, like this is a little, this is verging, this is harassment, but verging on assault. Yeah. But then he's just like, I'm just fucking with you. You don't think that he's going, I mean, you're not sure though. He could. And then you know how she is and it makes me worried for her. Mm -hmm. But then as the movie goes along, she's pretty much fully in control. The story gives her agency. Like she gives consent during certain moments. Like she's the one where she's like, okay, you can kiss me now yeah. or whatever. I like that. Like everything is on her terms and he won't. He asks her about it. Yeah. And like, because he is interested, he's just interested in how she works. Yeah. I think it's just like a consistent thing of him, like testing boundaries. Mm-hmm. Cause as you see in like, I said that, that opening family dinner scene with the Leah Thompson character, like he does a similar thing with her, but to much different results. Like, like yeah. she re- she responds much differently than Patty because she is more of like a typical full grown adult or whatever. Like she's 
also like bored housewife and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But it's also just him wanting to see how people respond to his energy. And she, Patty, responds in a way that throws him off kilter. Yeah, he finds it interesting and exciting. But he's so like, he lives his life so punk rock. That's what you do in punk rock. You test boundaries and you scream at people and you speak your mind and fuck the man and all that. She's the same way, but different because she's just being herself. And even though people are so cruel to her, even her own family, mm-hmm. extremely cruel, she still is just, she doesn't change to try to fit in or anything. I mean, they're both misfits and they, they work together. They mm-hmm. fit together. <laughs> so she's just like punk rock in a different way. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I know you really like found family films. I know, I know it's a relationship, but like yeah. her family's kind of screwed up in certain ways. His mm-hmm. family's even more screwed up somewhat because of like some of his actions in the past, but also there were things within that family that caused him to seek those escapes and everything. Mm-hmm. Just seeing like, even when he's trying to be genuine with his family, it doesn't always like, it's not working out because there's like a distrust there. So like them coming together is kind of like the found family, but yeah. also like a nice relationship. I really enjoy stories like that. Not just the found family, but just like relationships, just misfits coming together and mm-hmm. finding something and feeling like they belong. It's kind of like the vibe of like a road trip movie. I mean, I guess kind of like Badlands in a way. <laughs> Yeah. But, like, better, I think, than Badlands. Like, Ooh, a lot better. Take that, Terrence Malick. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Just, like, the vibe, how they fit, because I think they're more even. They're more yeah. on level. Where, like, mm-hmm. in Badlands, they weren't, I don't think, at all. I think he was more so, like, taking advantage of Sissy Spacek's character and all that. So, I whatever. <laughs> yeah. I like that vibe. And also, like I was saying, like, the dark comedy 90s stuff, I think it's what Freeway wanted to be. <laughs> mm. Like, this has the same sort of thing as freeway except there's no romance in freeway but it's just that shock value thing but this does it better this is better yeah and it has like that sweetness and it's more like they're less of caricatures i could actually see these people i could see meeting these people in real life and it just it works better i think and it's like that whole commentary on like america i love how simon finds himself at is it three different dinners because the first one and then patty's and his his own own. yeah but he willingly like he wants to because at the first one she asked do you want to come over and he's like sure yeah he always seems super interested to be at these dinner tables to see these different families and how they react and it's just different pieces of america like suburbia he just gets to see how i don't know it probably just reinforces his way of life like i'm doing something right because these people are so weird and he loves messing with them and Mm -hmm. he learns things from them and he can take different things from them but as an audience you get to see dinner in america yeah and he also channels it into his music like that's like like you said reinforcing his beliefs but through his music as well he's like yes i'm singing about this and i've i've experienced it and yeah yeah i like that he's sort of like a almost like a sociologist and Mm -hmm. just seeing different facets of american life and the ugly side he's seen a lot of ugly in his life in that small town and then patty is probably the first really interesting and brighter thing that he's encountered i just like all how the layers work it's really nice Mm -hmm. like i said it played a lot better for me on a second viewing like i said i didn't hate it the first time Mm -hmm. but also like it was probably more so in the middle of our movies and stuff that that was the year we also saw 
my favorite movie mm-hmm. of what well, eventually became a 2021 movie, Nine Days. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I would probably move this higher up the list like of what we saw in 2020 now. I've sat with it and like experienced it again and kind of know what it's going for. And yeah. it's a really enjoyable movie. And I do, I want to give a shout out to the two leads, mm-hmm. Kyle and Emily, especially seeing them at that Q&A afterwards and seeing like how different they are and, like in just their personalities. You're like, oh, they were really inhabiting these yeah. characters and stuff. They just do such a good job of just bringing such a distinct personality to these characters that really works on screen. Yeah, they're the reason why the movie is so great. Mm-hmm. I love them together on screen. It is really abrasive, the movie. Mm-hmm. The language can be abrasive and the elements on screen, yeah. like gross out factor or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're a person who doesn't enjoy those things, if you could just like hold out past like the first 15 minutes, yeah. it's definitely worth it. I do remember whenever we were watching it at Sundance, I was like, okay, I'm unsure how this is going to go. Not because it's like grossing me out or anything, but I'm just like, is this going to be what I want it to be? Is this going to be heartfelt or funny or anything like the weird funny that I really like? But then it really just clicks. Everything clicks. And by the end, the end credits and just like the end scene, I'm just like fully on board. And it's making me feel like all kinds of things. I'm like, I love this. This is so great. Yeah, absolutely. It takes a while for Simon and Patty to get together, but it especially clicks then. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's worth holding out for. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, good for you. And how was it? Hit me with that rating system. My rating system is funky ski masks. Mm. (laughs) Very funky. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I'm going to give this movie four and a half funky ski masks out of five. Very good score. It's smelly. What about you? Um, I think I'm going to stick with a respectable four out of five stinky ski mask. There's <laughs> still room for improvement. This was only my second viewing, but I do really quite uh, enjoy this movie. This is the good kind of stank. Yes. <laughs> if you want to experience this movie, it's been a long road to getting it seen widely, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it has just recently come to Hulu and it's available to like rent and purchase on various digital platforms. But if I can't find a really good Blu-ray over here. I'm thinking I might have to import that Arrow Video Blu-ray from overseas because uh-huh. I need some nice interviews from everyone. I need mm-hmm. this. So, I don't know. Just watch it, though. Get Hulu. Watch it. It was as though this plan had been with him all his life, pondered through the seasons. Now, in his 15th year, crystallized with the pain of puberty. <laughs> So, why'd you move here? My mom had to get a restraining order against my stepdad. He has emotional problems. Oh, I have those too. What kind of emotional problems does your dad have? I met a new friend. Real or imaginary? Wake up, Tony. Imaginary. I'm gonna tell you a little story. Donnie Darko debuted at Sundance Film Festival in 2001. The film is written and directed by Richard Kelly, and it stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Jenna Malone, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Drew Barrymore, Mary McDonnell, Catherine Ross, Patrick Swayze, Noah Wiley, six and a half hours later, and many more, because this cast is stacked. Mm -hmm. During the presidential election of 1988, a teenager named Donnie Darko sleepwalks out of his house one night and sees a giant, demonic-looking rabbit 
rabbit named Frank, who tells him the world will end in 28 days. When Donnie returns home, he finds a jet engine has crashed into his bedroom. Is Donnie living in a parallel universe? Is he suffering from mental illness? Or will the world really end? So, spooky premise. Yeah. <laughs> Apocalyptic stuff. Yeah, it happens in October. Yes. So, I've watched this movie several times. This was like a film that, especially one of my best friends in my formative years, he, I think this was one of his favorite films. Was this the one who gave you S. Darko and stole Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> no, this was actually a different friend, but I've had uh, many... Uh, <laughs> connections with different friends with Donnie Darko. <laughs> okay. But I discovered this in like the the 2000s, shortly after it became like a big cult hit on DVD and everything. So this was probably my sixth or seventh time watching this one. <laughs> so it's been so many years since then. So it's been like spread out over years. So I still sometimes come back. I'm like, okay, yeah, I <laughs> like still discovering new stuff. I do really enjoy this movie. This time out, we watched the director's cut, and I will speak on that in a little bit. But overall, the movie is. Is really like layered and complex. I like how it starts off with Donnie waking up in the middle of a road on like a, a mountain pass and stuff and it's such like an evocative image of just why is he randomly waking up miles from his home and it's kind of like mysterious throughout and I love how it kind of like slowly unveils his perspective and like his family dynamics and everything and just where he's at mentally at that time and it's such a very 80s movie <laughs> and yeah. it's very evocative of that time and Richard Kelly he just really creates a narrative that it's kind of confusing but in a good way it keeps you like it's like a movie that's really good for discussion I think it especially works because Jake's performance is so strong he really commits to this character and really gives him a lot of additional layers that I think maybe in another person's hands may have not been as strong yes this is a movie about Donnie Darko but there's so many distinct characters within this movie and I like getting to get like little pieces of all of these characters, which I'm sure we'll expand upon as we talk about this more. I do get certain different things from this movie every time I watch it, and while I think it is trippy and like mind-bendy and stuff, I don't think it's keeping you at a distance too much. I, I don't think it's an impenetrable movie. By mm-hmm. any, I think it's a fun movie that you can kind of research and get other people's opinions on and get like different interpretations of, but I think even of just a single viewing, you can kind of get most of what it's saying and like come away with it, and it's just like a fun movie to like roll around in your head which is a lot of fun yeah (laughs) i'll just say really quickly i saw that jason schwartzman was originally attached to Mm. play donnie darko but then jake got a hold of it nice (laughs) but that would have been a lot different but it took a a lot of effort to get made and then essentially drew got it made Yeah, Drew. Flower Films. Um, I think this was my third time to see it because I did watch it again in 2020. The first time that I watched it was with you, and that was whenever we were first dating and it was a while ago yeah so probably like 2012 or 2013 yeah and i was always hesitant to watch it because i'm not great with scary movies so i was certain that it would freak me out <laughs> because just the pictures that i had seen donnie holding an axe and looking menacing and the bunny looking really disturbing so i was like oh i don't know about this so i never watched it but then whenever i finally did i was like okay this is fine <laughs> yeah i was just like no this is you'll be good yeah. There's like no jump scares. There's one part that's kind of like, whoop, but it's not like, ah. Yeah. So it was fine. And the way that it is, like the tone and the aesthetic and everything, I really 
vibe with. <laughs> I really Spooky like ladies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really like things that are creepy and make me think and kind of hang around in my brain for a while where I just have to roll it around and I can't let it go. So ultimately, like watching it the first time, I really loved it. I thought it was really great and I still really, really like it. And just watching the director's cut, I enjoyed it. Just seeing new things, new footage and stuff because there is some things that I remember not being in there. It was fun just seeing it in a different way. Like you said, the cast is crazy stacked. There are so many people in this movie. It's insane. Yeah. And all of their performances are really great. It has that element that I really like where it's like quirky weirdness of suburbia, I guess. Just small town. Mm -hmm. Just people being really odd, but then that's just the way that they are. And sort of like mob cult mentality. Like, let's not ask questions or we need to be good. We need to go to love, not fear, mm -hmm. and all of that. I really like those elements. And then there's, like, watching it this time, I had forgotten that there's so much about religion and God because I wasn't thinking about that aspect of it. I was just thinking about, like, the weird, trippy, creepy parts of it. That's really interesting. There's so many things in there that I'm just like, this is so weird. It's so wild. Just, like, his therapist bringing up God so much is interesting, but then she doesn't seem like she's overly religious or anything, but then she keeps wanting him to have this purpose like she wants him to believe in God because he'll be less alone or he'll he'll be less afraid or something and it's just it's so interesting and then Beth Grant Kitty she is like the typical character that you would think would be in these kinds of towns like really overly religious and like the book banning type of person yeah, very conservative <laughs> yeah. and small-minded and yeah doesn't want things out of the status quo what she deems is like appropriate yeah and then whenever things go out she gets really upset and afraid and angry mm -hmm. and lashes out and then you have other people who you don't really expect to say certain things like the therapist and I guess the psychiatrist because she was giving him meds but yeah. his teachers I don't know it's just interesting I do like especially Drew's character her just being like she's a young teacher so she's not that far into her career but she seems so over it yeah. <laughs> but she, I think it's just her being really frustrated with being shackled by their curriculum and what they want and what she can teach because mm -hmm. she wants to teach things that push boundaries and have students question things and then she gets in trouble for it but it's just amusing how she just seems so over like some of the students too just being annoyed by them yeah and just being bored and like making things uncomfortable for the students and telling them to do certain things and being like oh what's that choose the boy that you think is the cutest to sit by and then she's just watching them all and studying them also if there are any regular listeners here, you all know that I love Drew Barrymore. So just having her on screen, it fills me with a sense of ease and just love. Just seeing her face and her expressions and hearing her talk just makes me feel better. So I just love her in this movie. I think she's... she's a little therapy blanket. Yeah, she's... <laughs> I think she's great. And this director's cut had more of her in there. And so I like that too. I really like whenever I can pick things out where I can be like, I feel like she was influential in that line or that part because it's very Drew. Like it makes sense that she was like, wow, the script is really amazing. Yeah, I want to work with you. I want to get this made. And this was her third film to produce, I believe, because her first was Never Been Kissed. That's when Flower Films came about. But I like that she was the one who was like, let's get this made. Yeah. But her character is just so interesting and like whenever the school is trying to figure out who flooded the 
the school, the principal and everyone, how she's like staring at the students whenever they have to write their name so they can test their handwriting. Mm -hmm. And she's like staring at Donnie because she knows. And she's staring at him and she's watching his reactions and she finds it so fascinating. But she's not going to say anything. She's not going to rat him out because she doesn't care. But she's just like looking at him. (laughs) She's watching him sweat and like how she will go over. Like her eyes will dart over there and and then it'll dart back over to the board because she's waiting for him to write his name. And she's like, what is he going to do? How is he going to write this? (laughs) I just love how she watches all of them Mm -hmm. and how fascinated she is with the the students. But also how much she's like over everything. Yeah. And that's one of the things I like about this movie is you do get some like fleshed out side characters like how you do see her kind of let down her boundaries near the end whenever she's screaming into the void and stuff it's like it's like against the social norms to see teachers be human and stuff so she's not intending for anyone to see her but just to see her drop that facade of like I'm a teacher I have to keep my shit together but Mm -hmm. then also like I'm super pissed off and there's injustice in this world and just like letting it out I like stuff like that yeah me too yeah, and then I also appreciate, because you were talking about the Beth Grant character, like Kitty. She is also given layers to an extent. Just like seeing her also have her, I guess this is a lot of just like having facades broken throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like Kitty and just whenever her reality of what is proper and like things that she's been teaching. Like just seeing her not know what to do with her life and like needing Rose to like help with the sparkle motion and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. But then also, it's also the same with the Patrick Swayze character, which it's insane that I think that he's in this movie <laughs> yeah. and he would agree to this part because yeah. I think that's pretty great. For yeah. anyone who's not seen it, I won't spoil what happens, but having his facade also, like people being exposed and like having to present themselves to the world, I think it's very interesting how that kind of unveils and stuff. Donnie, he's also on his own journey, but then like the whole town, like there's, this isn't like spoiling the end of the movie. You see how these people how their lives have been changed over the course of this movie and how certain things impact them and stuff Mm -hmm. and like how their lives would be different and stuff. Yeah, how much it just shakes them up and rocks their world. (laughs) Yeah, whenever a little chaos is introduced Mm -hmm. and stuff. I know it's a cop, I just said it's interesting, but it is very like... It's a case study. Yeah, of like human... Life in society and just small town life and keeping status quo and, and just like a lot of movies comment on how you need to question the system. There's all those layers just with what Drew's character has them read the deconstructors and that feeds into everything and then everyone is wearing masks like whenever <laughs> whenever Donnie asks like why do you wear that stupid bunny suit mm-hmm. and why do you wear that stupid man suit yeah, yeah like everyone's wearing these masks to get through and no one's taking them off and then whenever they do it's like oh it's chaos mm-hmm. we can't handle it just interesting how humans do that just to go on with life because they need distraction from the bigger things the more existential things like death and what if I have to think about this what if I have to think about someone not being who they say they are or everyone is just trying to run around which is why that tears for fears song makes so much sense and works so well it's almost like he wrote the movie around that song <laughs> or the daily races going nowhere going nowhere the 
cover. Yeah, but I did see that he had the idea of a jet engine part of it crashing into a house and he wrote a movie around that. But it's almost as if he wrote it around that song too. It works so well. Yeah. Which also the soundtrack to this movie is banging. It's exquisite. Yeah, it's interesting talking about the director's cut. Like I was reading a little bit about the differences because even though I've watched the movie, I still I can't catch everything that's different. Mm-hmm. But just knowing that the opening song, the NXS song, that was changed in the director's cut because originally in the theatrical cut. Yeah, I don't know. He like rearranged where certain songs were in the mm-hmm. soundtrack too. And Yeah, I didn't remember them learning a different book. With... Watership Down. Yeah. I do think I probably prefer the theatrical cut even though there are things that I like in the director's mm-hmm. cut. I was kind of distracted by the uh, interstitials with the book and maybe because I feel it made me feel dumb because I was like I don't know I read people thought it was explaining things too much but I was just like I'm not sure if I'm getting everything I think it really like people said it's really holding your hand the book is explaining everything that's happening yeah maybe I felt like there was something deeper I was supposed to be getting instead of just reading it I'm just like okay Uh, it's just face value pretty much yeah so I did feel like that kind of weakened it a little bit so that's one favor for the theatrical cut in my opinion yeah the theatrical cut allows you to think about it more and sort of interpret it a different way and it has like the mystery Mm. which adds to more of the spookiness can i tell you another part that makes me feel dumb even though i know there's there's stuff going on there i know it's important that this is set during the 1988 election this Mm. is what i gathered from this because they continue to bring it up dukakis is running and everything And at the beginning, the family, they're talking about, like, do you really think he'll provide for your future? Like, they're wanting to maintain their stability and everything. And they Mm -hmm. feel like Dukakis would, like, shake things up. So I feel like that is Kelly just another layer of them being afraid of shaking up their straightforward lives. Like, they feel like he would be too much of a change. Is Am I getting... Is this... No, that's totally okay. it. Okay. Just making sure, like, I'm analyzing yeah. this text correctly. Yeah, because, like I said, there's, like, so many layers, but mm-hmm. they're all commenting on society. Yeah. And especially, like, at the time, too. And from what I remember of Dukakis, there was some stuff about him as well. I listened to a podcast where they explained some things about it, because they talked about it on You're Wrong About, one of my favorite podcast Mm. and they're talking about that election and something about the media I can't remember exactly but something came out and it was weird and people lost interest in him so that was intentional Mm -hmm. I'm not the best with politics because it doesn't really interest me as much especially like stuff that happened prior to my birth Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) like from what I gather that's what I was understanding of it and I just wanted to make sure that I was right in the pocket there if I I was getting it yeah it's definitely playing a part well I'm glad to know that I'm not a complete dumbass. Because <laughs> there is a lot about this movie that, like, even I was like, yeah, it's, yeah, I pretty much get it, and I just tell you my interpretation. You're like, wow, he did not. No. <laughs> I liked it more than I thought that I would. That's good. <laughs> like whenever we first watched it. I mean, it does have a lot of people you like. Yeah. And even outside of like Drew and I know you love Jake. But yeah. You get, like, also and Maggie. Like, and then Jenna Malone. Yeah. Like, so it's just like a lot of people just bring them on, bring them on. Yeah. But there is one thing that I'll say. I know that there might not be enough room for it in the story. It is kind of like a bummer that a lot of the female characters aren't really used as much as they could be. Mm. Like Jenna Malone's character, she doesn't really do much she doesn't even facilitate character growth or whatever she's just kind of there i guess and his mom you get to know his mom better in the director's cut but like 
I don't know, the women don't have as many lines even in scenes whenever like everyone's together. Like with the family stuff, the dad talks more. Mm -hmm. We could just change it a little bit. I wish there was a little bit more to them instead of just kind of like floating around and being passive. Yeah, because you do have scenes of him just like his dad's up late watching television, just having Donnie go have a conversation with him and stuff. Mm -hmm. And just like give more of that with his mother or his sisters and have more yeah. interactions with them. Yeah, his psychiatrist is a woman so of course she gets to talk more so that's good at least but it's difficult with the story though because it's so much about Donnie and what he's doing because there's like a specific purpose and stuff's going on but I feel like even with the scenes where everyone is talking together the women could have had more lines because yeah. I just noticed whenever the parents would talk the mom would say something and then the dad would interject and then he would get to go on and then the scene would be over yeah I think especially Jenna's character because like a lot of times when they're together like on their date she's a sleep in the theater or like whenever they're out in that field usually it's like she's speaking but he's kind of like thinking of something else and stuff so you don't really even hear exactly what she's talking about so it's just like yeah she's just kind of i don't know not given a lot yeah it's kind of a bummer but it i still like the movie a lot in spite of that that's my one major complaint that's fair i agree (laughs) (laughs) it amuses me that richard kelly he made this and then he like tried to come back with like southland tales which people mostly rejected which we still need to watch together I've seen it a couple of times. It's an interesting mess. Mm, I saw that he hadn't done a lot. No, he's not, he's not made, completed a film since 2009's The Box. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's been a good 14 or 13 years. Yeah, and then people didn't really like The Box that much. No, I think it kind of like sunk his career. Because that one's also <laughs> like, he makes very messy, interesting films. <laughs> but like, I don't know. Yeah. Apparently he has something in production, but we'll see. We'll see if it comes out. Yeah, I did look because I was curious and I saw that he had at least three things coming out because he directed three and wrote two of those three. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Well, at least he came out of the gate strong. I know this one had a troubled release history too because it came out like right after 9-11 so they had to kind of basically bury it because it involved a plane (laughs) part coming up. But it found its audience and that audience includes us. (laughs) Now if any of you sons of bitches got anything else to say now's the fucking time what is your rating system i think i'm gonna have to go with banned books nice and i believe i would read four banned books out of five what about you i think i would read four and a half books out of five we're keeping our uh, scale from the first movie too mm-hmm. will it continue on the next one only time will tell <laughs> yeah uh if you want to see how this movie plays for you as of this recording it's available on hbo max canopy and a pretty sick ass 4k <laughs> set from arrow which includes both the theatrical and director's cut and a bunch of special features for you to dig into so i recommend that but if you need to stream it to check it out first go for it are you born with destiny or does it just come knocking at your door there's a young singer from memphis tennessee give him a warm hayride welcome Mr. Elvis Presley! Get a haircut, buttercup! In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero.
Elvis was released in 2022. It was written by Baz Luhrmann, Sam Brommel, Craig Pierce, and Jeremy Donner. It was directed by Baz Luhrmann. It stars Austin Butler, Tom Hanks, Olivia de Young, Helen Thompson, Kelvin Harrison Jr., Richard Roxburgh, and Luke Bracey. Elvis follows the story of infamous rock and roll star Elvis Presley, seen through the eyes of his controversial manager, Colonel Tom Parker. The film explores Elvis Presley's highs and lows and the many challenges and controversies he received throughout his career. I was looking forward to watching this movie. I quite enjoy Baz Luhrmann's movies. I was getting caught up on some of the ones that I hadn't seen, so we watched Strictly Ballroom and Australia, and then this one. <laughs> but I really enjoy his style and what he does, so I was looking forward to it. And I did enjoy this movie quite a bit, and mostly I think Austin Butler is amazing. <laughs> he was spectacular as Elvis. I did not expect that at all, because whenever I saw that he was cast as Elvis, I was like, I don't think that's right. <laughs> but he blew me away. There are certain scenes that he would do that I know I was wondering if he sang any of it, and so I looked it up and we saw that he sang up until a certain point the the special that he did, that Elvis did, the, the leather jacket and the red. So he sang up until that, but there are points where he was performing as Elvis, and I was just, my mind was blown. I was just like, this is insane. <laughs> like, especially whenever he was doing his Vegas performances. Yeah. It just, it was incredible. And then, like, where he did the civil rights song that he wanted to do whenever they were like, do a Christmas song. Oh, yeah. And he did one. That was pretty incredible, too. Because, I mean, you could tell that he, like, studied footage and he really inhabited Elvis. So I was not expecting that. That was amazing. Mm -hmm. So I think that carries the movie a lot for me. Everything else, just how it looks and the feel and the pacing is really interesting and fun. I wish that it wasn't so surface, I guess. It just felt like he was skipping a rock across the surface because it was so fast and you didn't really dip into anything it was just like this happened remember okay next next mm -hmm. next it didn't of course handle or go into problematic things about Elvis except for like oh yeah he was a drug addict with his pills and stuff it didn't like go into Priscilla stuff even the way that she was cast she was cast as a grown woman and it lessened the impact of you know whenever he first met her, that she was like 13, something like that. And yeah. it, she just talked about her parents being hesitant and having to convince them. It didn't have all of that. And just like the stuff with their relationship, like Elvis cheated and there was some abusive stuff. It glossed over it all. How are you going to get approval from the Living Presley estate to guess, do yeah. promotion and stuff if you're going to include all that stuff? I guess. It does what Hollywood does and makes it all shiny and new. Mm. So if you're going to not use that as your main Elvis source or whatever and just for entertainment only it's pretty entertaining I think and for it being from Colonel Parker's the Colonel yeah being from his viewpoint it didn't even like show how awful he was I mean I get it he's like an unreliable narrator mm -hmm. but just you could see how bad he was but you didn't see how truly heinous he was but whereas whenever I was talking to my mom about this movie she's like I mean was he really that bad and stuff and I was just like nah, that's not even the half of it yeah it was bad yeah. really bad and they did not it was like kid gloves I guess mm -hmm. but I guess because he was telling the story it would make sense that he wouldn't just be like look how much of a piece of crap I am yeah <laughs> I know everyone hates Tom Hanks's performance it was fine it was weird but I don't think it was the worst thing in the world it wasn't as bad as I was expecting but 
I enjoyed it, I guess, more than I thought I would because I was just, I was hesitant about it, just hearing things and not knowing how Austin would do and everything, but I'd watch it again. Even though it was two and a half hours, it didn't really feel that long to me, so that was nice. Because you didn't stay in one place too long. Yeah, (laughs) the quick, quick editing and yeah, yeah, it's got that Michael Bay effect. I still need to think more about where I rank all of Baz's movies. I gotta think of how I feel about everything. Maybe I'll have a ranking by the end of this segment. Oh boy. Who even knows? Probably yeah, not. Just uh, dissociate while I'm talking. Yeah, it that's just... us. Like, I probably can't because I gotta listen, but... You don't have to listen. <laughs> I'll listen. I'll just, like, I'll just do my singular TED Talk to the audience and you can just do what you need to do. <laughs> so yeah, I was interested in this movie. I'm a pretty I'm a pretty moderate Baz fan. I think he's made some really fun movies and I generally like a lot of his stuff. I remember watching Australia in the theaters and like I was like, this is a really fun movie and then everyone seemed to hate it and I yeah. was like, okay, I thought it was good. <laughs> so that's where I'm coming from. So I was I was interested in this movie. I wanted to see what kind of weird stuff he would do. And it was okay. It kind of disappointed me. I wanted more from him. I wanted more yeah. craziness from him. Like whenever you make The Great Gatsby and you have like Jay-Z and stuff, mm-hmm. I think that's fun. That's like shaking things up and like dusting off the cobwebs off of like a older text. Like you kind of get that with Elvis. It's like at the beginning beginning especially it's kind of like okay this feels like he's drawing the parallels between like rock and roll and hip-hop and you're kind of having some of those elements but then it just really kind of tapers off and yes there's flashy editing and different fun like visual flair like of course it's a Baz Luhrmann movie he's gonna Mm -hmm. have spectacle and vibrant colors and all that stuff but I wanted more like craziness I wanted him singing different throwing in some modern songs too that like maybe thematically resonate with what Elvis is feeling emotionally at that time. Even though I know people would have complained like, I'm not getting my favorite Elvis songs. Go listen to your Elvis songs if you want. I want something that like services an interesting narrative. There are ways to like shake this up and like make it more than just a conventional biopic. And it essentially did just come down to being a conventional biopic with flair, with razzle-dazzle on it. Yeah, except it felt more fast-paced than normal biopics to me. Yeah. I guess guess. with his editing. Yeah, I guess because it's like a a greatest hits of his life, and Mm -hmm. it's not the worst biopic I've ever seen by any means, but it's not among anywhere near the best and stuff because mm-hmm. something like Walk the Line it's conventional and it's going through Johnny's life but you're also getting that character depth deep character depth yeah. of him reckoning with his past with his brother and like his fa- like his whole family and then like also all the stuff with June and their complicated relationship and stuff you get to hear those Johnny Cash songs but you also it's all in service of his character you understand Johnny Cash as a character rather than just like a figure of oh I like his music you get to understand yeah like a fully fleshed out character elvis i never really felt like i knew him like i have a ton of information from like we've watched four or five documentaries about him we've seen countless movies and all that stuff so it's not like that i'm lacking for elvis material but it's like if you're going to make this movie you need to bring it all together and i think a lot of biopics are most effective when you're like focusing on a specific section of your life even though i didn't love judy i loved renee's performance of judy but i think it was a 
effective in that they tried to make it about a specific span of weeks near the end of her life. I think they could have done it better. I would also say Elvis is better than Judy, but I like that approach. And I think trying to encompass everything within this film, it just didn't work. I guess I think something even like Rocket Man was more effective because that put a lot more flair in. Like they treated it like a musical where yeah. even if certain songs like, oh, this song wouldn't have come out at this time. It's like, no, this is effective because he's maybe like playing Tiny Dancer at this point. He wouldn't write it until years later, but within the story, it's very mm-hmm. narratively compelling. And that's kind of what more I was wanting from both Boz, bigger and better and like more spectacle. Yeah. That's what I wanted. And Rocket Man really gives you more like depth, like a Walk the Line, but like more razzle dazzle, which yeah. is like what I expected from Elvis. It's not conventional either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I also wanted it to be weirder, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. And then like Elvis, you have the problem of his life is so, there's so much to it. Mm-hmm. Even though he didn't live into old age, there's so much that happened. It's probably, he just felt like, well, if I don't hit all of these big moments, people are going to get mad and like, I have to be more conventional in those ways. It's like what um, Bohemian Rhapsody did because they had the greatest hits thing, mm-hmm. but I think Elvis did it better, but it would be better if the movie <laughs> was more it was weirder it's still weird with the visuals visually mm-hmm. it's strange and it's all bass but yeah narratively he could have done some weird stuff yeah it just uh, even more i don't want to just keep comparing it to other movies but like with rocket man where like you do have those kind of fantastical elements like where the audience starts floating or something like just mm-hmm. stuff like that that just really is just like oh this is unique this isn't just like unique <laughs> Like, whenever he's performing at the stadium and people are, like, losing their minds, you get some of that interesting editing of people just starting almost froth, almost, because it's like, I can't, but just exaggerate that. Like, you're Baz Luhrmann. Mm-hmm. Make it, like, insane. I, I I don't know. I just, maybe I, I just wanted this movie to be something that it's not, but it's, you get Baz Luhrmann to do this. He is a visual outlandish director. Mm-hmm. Like, go freaking wild like just go for it and i don't want to just have the standard star on the rise he hit a rocky point drug addiction and then like death it's just kind of like all right you're hitting all the points <laughs> but what was he feeling during this like what was he there's a lot of very interesting individual moments i do like when he gets to interact with kelvin's bb king mm-hmm. uh because i love kelvin harrison jr but whenever he's going out off to the club and seeing little richard and stuff that's interesting and I, but i want more of that like i i could watch almost like a whole film of him engaging with that culture and like seeing kind of maybe reckoning with his place within rock and roll and how he's adapted that music for his own personal gain and stuff. You get really none of that, like reckoning with his legacy of how he's appropriated this music for mass consumption. And then like with you said with the Priscilla stuff, there's a whole lot there which maybe the family wouldn't want to delve into. Well, Priscilla wrote a book about it. Yeah, but maybe they didn't want to, like, blast it again. I don't know. I think she'd be fine with it. Well, then they should have done it. (laughs) I don't know about Lisa, Lisa Marie, but... Yeah, maybe. There's just, like I said, it's so surface level, but narratively, not, like, visually. I think it's very fun and dazzling visually, Mm -hmm. but it's just narratively, I need both. Yeah. Speaking of Johnny Cash, whenever you mentioned Walk the Line, Mm -hmm. didn't even go into the part where Elvis was on tour with Johnny Cash at that one point of his life. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he could have done something with meeting the Beatles because that's sort of 
lore at this point because no one knows how it went because only the Beatles do and they are also high. Mm-hmm. So could have done fun stuff with that. Boz says he has like his four or five hour cut. Yeah. It's a long time, but like release the Boz cut. You did the Snyder cut. This would be much more interesting to me. Of just Yeah, I would definitely be up for watching that. Yeah. I mean, yes, the Snyder cut was better than the theatrical cut. Yeah. We've yeah. privately talked about this, but like <laughs> if, if you're going to put money towards that, I'm sure you already have this material. It's already shot. So like, yeah, people release would it. love it because all the Elvis fans would be like yes yeah i'll watch this just make it into a mini series i don't care if yeah. that's what you need to do apparently they're doing that with australia so yeah like Disney plus <laughs> yeah do this let it like i want to see what he wanted to do yeah it just seems like the most i guess outlandish and crazy that he got was romeo and juliet because he completely changed the setting he added a soundtrack and kind of the flow of the story he changed how the characters are it kept the same shakespearean dialogue everything but it was just everything was so different it was modernized and just different and then great gatsby yeah he added the hip-hop and Mm -hmm. all of that but that's pretty much it it just seemed like he really went buck wild with Romeo and Juliet and then he hasn't really since. What about, I can't remember Moulin Rouge enough. What about, I mean, I know he had like modern songs. Yeah, that's it. He likes to do that with music, which Mm -hmm. I really appreciate, but like visually it makes sense in Moulin Rouge because that world, it's all, you know, that's how it is. Yeah. Not cabaret, but you know, like whatever. Very theatrical and... Because it's part of his uh, Red Curtain trilogy or whatever, so it just makes sense. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, he uses modern songs, but it doesn't feel like it's like, whoa, this is crazy. (laughs) But yeah, it just seems like he's not going as crazy in the way that he did with Romeo and Juliet, where he's like, I'm just going to do something completely different. That's what I want. Yeah. I want Crazy Baz. He's known for that now, but like, it seems like he's kind of tuned it more into like, audiences won't be too turned off by like, whoa, this is weird. It's yeah. like acceptable. Yeah. He relies more so on music now and just like being visually like, whoa. <laughs> Which is why I wanted more from the music from this because it is it is mostly just Elvis songs with just a few like hip hop interlude beats mm-hmm. th- transitioning, but it's not enough for me. Yeah. And like covers like certain people singing certain things. Yeah. I know people would have like rioted in the street, but even if they like, changed the genre of his songs more or something, I just want too much. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think it's too much to ask for from Baz. Like I said, the performances were pretty great. And even though Tom Hanks wasn't like A plus or whatever, it was still good. Yeah. I don't think he was actively awful or anything. I was just like, this is interesting, but okay. (laughs) But like, yeah, Austin Butler, I didn't expect amazing things. I was just like, oh, they got uh, Sebastian from Carrie Diaries. That's pretty cool. I'm happy for his ascendance, but he was insanely good. Yeah. But not that any Academy members would be listening to this, but just, yes, he's really great. But we also do not need another real person playing a real life person winning an Oscar. So like, if you want to give him a nom, that's fine, but don't make him like an easy layout pro win. Yeah. It seems like he's probably going to get a nomination. I'm sure. Yeah. In conclusion, watch Elvis, have a good time, mm-hmm. but maybe read and watch other things if you want to know more about Elvis <laughs> and watch more of Buzz's stuff. Oh no. What is your rating system? I think I'm going to have to go with suspicious accents. (laughs) That's Uh, funny. I'm not sure about this. (laughs) Uh, For Elvis, I guess, I guess I don't want to be like too harsh, but Mm -hmm. I guess I'll go with like a three out of five suspicious accents. What about yours? My rating system is Wiggles because everyone loves the Elvis Wiggle. I think 
I'm going to be wiggling three and a half times out of five. Ooh, I want to see that half wiggle. <laughs> <laughs> just a little, eh, just a little squirm. Mm, mm-hmm. Because it's enjoyable, but it could be a lot better. If you want to see where you fall on Elvis, it is currently available to stream on HBO Max. And it has a 4K and Blu-ray and everything from Warner Brothers. So if you want to own it, there's also that option. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Home Dance Film Festival. Join us again next time when we'll be discussing something or another, but hopefully it won't be another four months from now. If you have any thoughts or opinions about the movies we discussed today or movie suggestions, you can write us at homedancepod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at homedancepod. If you liked the show, feel free to leave a rating. Um, If you didn't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It doesn't get much better than this. (laughs) This was us at our A plus game. Uh, Thanks for the dozens of you, probably not dozens, that came back to listen. (laughs) You're being very optimistic. Yeah, I'm sorry. Thanks for the two of you. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. (laughs) You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DylanGonzalez2, even though I never post on Instagram. (laughs) You can also find me me publishing reviews almost daily on GeekVibesNation.com, as well as on YouTube, co-hosting The Video Attic with my colleague, Mike Vaughn. And you can follow me on Twitter at JustThenZero. There's an underscore in there somewhere, and I don't remember where. But if I you think it's to, right at the end. Okay, but if you go to the home dance page, you can find me that way too. And you can also find me contributing to GeekVibesNation.com. We are proud to be a part of the Geek Vibes Nation podcasting network. Original music for the show is provided by Andrew Carroll, who can be found at musicbyandrewcarroll.com. Original artwork for the show is provided by Ben Belcher, who can be found on Instagram at the Art of Ben Belcher. I've been Jessica. And I've been Dylan. Do you know what time it is? No, what? Dinner time! Dinner in America! <laughs> Dinner time! Dinner in America! <laughs> Bye! Bye. Gucci.